Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Everyone, thank you for joining the conversation today. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. We're right in the middle of a new series called The Creative Process. I sure hope you've been listening. This whole series, we're emphasizing that process element because every episode, we are processing an aspect of the creative life and creative pursuits, especially in today's marketplace, because oftentimes what we have going on in the digital realm can be detrimental to creativity while also being a help in our creative pursuits. So we're looking at all these different tensions that are inherent to the creative life. I have so enjoyed these conversations, Hannah, because they have really spanned a wide array of topics and viewpoints so far. Yes. And I've loved having guests on that do things that are different than what I know. So both you and I work in the space of words or writing. And so it's easy when we talk about creativity or this online uh, work that we're called to, I automatically think of language or writing or communication. But to have Michelle on to talk about studio art, to have Kendall on to talk about baking and bread, it felt very robust to me. And I felt like I could enter into the conversation through them um, in ways that Mm -hmm. were new to me because I was stepping away from what I typically know of. Well, Hannah, I, I agree. I think hearing from different creative types, whether it's fine art or baking, and I, I think of all types of work as having a creative element to it, hearing from different perspectives, it really informs me in a different way, and it helps me to process my own creativity. So my hope is that whoever, all of you out there, whoever you are, whatever your creative pursuits are, I really do hope that you're able to take the different aspects of the conversation and then apply it to whatever it is that you are doing, whether it's music or maybe it's acting or some sort of graphic design or whatever it would be. I really hope that it is applicable and there are lots of crossovers as we talk to different people in different fields. But having said that, I really like to stay within our field. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let's talk about words and language some more. It's my favorite. (laughs) Publishing like this whole series is just eventually so we can talk about writing and publishing. Right. Well, and also when we put out the the call, I guess it was over the summer where we said, oh, we're going to talk a little bit about writing. We had so many people asking us questions that were specific to writing. So I do know there are writers out there amongst other creatives. So it's not like we're the only two, right? There are other people interested in our craft as well. So it, it's a good fit, I think, for us to to veer a little bit more into the writing and publishing space, at least for this conversation. And we do hope all of you out there who are not in that space can still be able to apply it to your own realms, too. 
And that's why we're really glad today, though, to have Helen Lee with us as our guest. And she's going to talk all things publishing with us, but mostly about finding your voice and how to preserve it in the midst of a digital age that's going to want to co-opt it. So Helen, we are so glad to have you on. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very honored, very, very honored to be here. I enjoy both of you and the voices you've cultivated both individually and collectively in this space. So thank you so much for inviting me here. We are so thrilled to have you with us. Helen, you bring a wealth of experience and and expertise from the publishing realm. You are with InterVarsity Press. Your current title, because I know you've been in a couple different spaces there, but your current title is Associate Director, Strategic Partnerships and Initiatives, which sounds amazing. So Helen, I'd love, just as we get going here, could you just explain a little bit about what your new role is, just so that people understand? understand where you're coming from, and that way it'll kind of set the pace for the rest of the conversation that we have today. Sure, absolutely. So just to give a little backstory, I started at IVP about five years ago as an editor. So I was one of the acquisitions and development editors at IVP and got a chance to work with wonderful authors like yourself, Erin, and work. Yes, very much yay for your book, Comfort Detox, because we were proud to publish. And then after a couple of years, we had some leadership transitions here. So I became the director of marketing and did that for three years. So it gave me completely the opposite side of the publishing coin, so to speak, um, from the editing side. And then most recently in July, transitioned to this role now, which for me actually is very much a way that I am leaning into my own voice, so to speak, and my own passions in publishing and in vocational efforts, which is I love startup projects. And that's always been true for me. So this job now gives me a chance to collect all this previous experience and now lean into particular specific projects that we are doing here at IVP with various other entities. Some of them are partnerships with other organizations. Some of them are um, projects that are internal only, but all of them have a unique element of just starting from scratch that really fits me and my temperament. So that's a bit of a, some context of who I am and what I'm doing now at IVP. And I love that energy because I think it will resonate with so many of our listeners who find themselves in the place of wanting to start from scratch of so much of what's happening right now in the digital age is the opportunity for entrepreneurship that didn't exist before. And so I know when folks are coming um, to their craft, whether it's writing or baking bread or studio art, a lot of them are coming with that kind of entrepreneurial mindset, wanting to make something of it. And there's that energy. Um, But I found in my own writing process that at the beginning, I had a lot of energy, but not necessarily a lot of clarity in terms of who I was, what my message was, what even my voice was, what I needed to deliver. I had a lot of passion, but I didn't necessarily have um, just that clarity on who I was or what I contributed to the conversation. So I was wondering, how would you advise someone who's in that place of feeling the urges of entrepreneurship and wanting to make those first steps into their creative niche? How do they figure out who they are, even as the marketplace around them is trying to tell them who they should be? Hmm. Well, you said that word passion. And 
I have noticed, at least in the authors I've gotten a chance to work with, when I think about how their voice has matured and grown, it really does start from that place of what are you passionate about? And I was always looking as an editor for people who clearly had a strong passion in their work, in whatever vocational area they were working in, that then translated over into their writing life because the, the two tended to kind of have, go hand in hand. The two tended to be working in tandem with one another. So I think of a time when I met an author who was so, so passionate about the injustice of mass incarceration. That was what his life's work was and that's what he had committed himself to doing. And that ended up translating into a deep desire to write about what he was doing and to be able to invest time into articulating that passion in written form. And that became ultimately a book for us, Rethinking Incarceration, that um, that we published a couple of years ago. Um, and that is the kind of pattern I often see with uh, writers who have a deep passion for something in their life that then becomes a book. I mean, I think Aaron of your book, Comfort Detox, is very kind of similar path. And you maybe can comment on whether or not that was true for you, that there was a passion there that began to stir you towards this particular topic that then led into the creative pursuit of actually figuring out how to articulate that in written form. So I don't know if that would be true for you, Erin, but would be interested to know if that was your experience. I think that has, it is definitely the struggle that I had. I, I think about the the topics that I was passionate about, but I definitely needed that editorial guidance and refinement because sometimes you're so deep into what's interesting to you. It's really hard to then connect it to, let's say, a broader movement in in culture or um, something that is of interest to a wider market. And so I see that as being something that is really tough for um, people who are so passionate. They're so locked in to their realm. It's hard to come up for air and it's hard to then connect to, yes, keep your voice, keep your passion, but also know somebody has to actually be interested enough to then take on the work and take it in, meaning in the publishing realm, somebody has to actually buy that book. <laughs> and so I, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that, Helen, because there's something there that I, even in talking with other writers, there's a really hard time in figuring out how do you take a very niche um, topic and passion and then make sure that it actually connects with a broader art audience. Mm -hmm. In some ways, we're talking really about access to the audience, right? Because in some, I mean, there are so many different stories. We've all heard them, right? Of the, that novelist who knocked on a hundred doors and not a single one of them opened, but then they finally got their shot, right? And that book became whatever that book became. I mean, you can go down the list, whether it's J.K. Rowling or so, so many writers, right, have had that experience of rejection 99 times when finally the one comes through. And so, so that happens to so, so many of us where we tried to start that conversation with a publishing professional who has the access to the audience and we don't get the answer we want. And I think we have to remember that doesn't mean that 
that idea that you're so passionate about is the wrong idea or that that idea is not marketable. It just may, it may mean that you haven't quite found that person who will give you that access to the audience that you need to find. I've experienced that in various forms and places and spaces, whether it was trying to find an agent, I might probably had to look, uh, let's see here. I probably had conversations with maybe five or six people before I found the one who really understood my heart, my passion for the idea that I had that became the book I wrote called The Mission of Long. I mean, that was in some ways for me a very clear articulation and I had a very clear vision for what I felt like was the need, but many people didn't see it the same way I saw it for multiple conversations until I found that one agent who really resonated with it and got it. And so so I guess the message I'm trying to communicate is when you are receiving the negative messages saying, nope, we're not interested, or nope, there's no market for your book, don't necessarily take that as gospel. <laughs> don't necessarily say, well, then I should just quit and do something else, or this message obviously is wrong, I need to retweak it, or I need to change it to match the market. It may not actually be that. It may actually be that you just haven't found that right person with that right vision that aligns with yours, right? So it's we even here at IVP that um, when we say no, or if we say no to an idea, it has nothing to do with the merit of the idea. Sometimes it's just a fit issue between author, topic, and publisher, that there is a, a fit element there that has nothing to do with the viability of the idea or the merit of the idea or the author. Sometimes it's just a fit issue. And so that's part of the creative process, I think, for many of us is finding your people, finding your people who get it, um, who and embrace the vision of what you're articulating and then who have access to an audience who will similarly hopefully see that vision and, and support it. And I love how you're presenting that because one of the overarching themes of this whole series is that living in the digital age has in some ways made our work easier, that we can develop an audience perhaps through social media channels. We can find and get in touch with publishers or agents in ways that are easier than maybe in the past. But the digital age also presents really unique challenges. And I think what I hear um, both you and Aaron putting forward is there is this tension between um, maintaining your voice and all of the things that make you unique and, and really make your message worth hearing. That you have something to say that no one else can or is positioned to say. And so you need to preserve that. But we also live in this world where um, the marketplace does have certain things that it desires, right? And so it is going to resist anything that is maybe a little out of the box or maybe a little different than what people know traditionally sells. And I think of that tension, particularly for um, minority voices or people on the margins, because the marketplace really does reward more of a mainstream, what we know sells. And that's why I am, I just love um, IVP's kind of commitment to finding voices that need to be platformed, need to be raised up and helping them preserve the uniqueness of the message that God has entrusted to them. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think we are in this tension, this paradox of needing to communicate 
to a marketplace or an audience that may not always know they need what we have to say. And there is this level of faith involved that says, I know God has entrusted this message. I know I'm supposed to speak it and I've got to hold on to it and hold out that he'll bring the right partners to move it Mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. Yes. This whole idea of the marketplace being uh, this monolithic entity is I think challenging for creatives because you do want to try to reach as many of those potential people as you can with your message. And I think one thing I feel like I've learned from being at IVP is that it is truly a big, large marketplace and monolithic in some ways, but it's also incredibly fragmented in other ways. And I think that's actually a a good thing because there is no one book that's right for everyone, maybe Bible aside. There is no really is truly going to resonate with every reader out there and and no book is for everyone and that's to the advantage of each one of us who try to operate in these creative spaces we uh we can rest assured that sure maybe our message is not going to hit the top 10 bestsellers or 50 bestsellers or whatever it is in the evangelical christian marketplace or whatever marketplace you want to call as your as your home base but it will reach a, a segment um, that resonate with your message. And there are a lot of readers out there. So I, I think that we can be reductionistic sometimes in terms of uh, thinking about um, the marketplace too intently as, as though what we're writing is not going to meet the needs of that mass. It may not meet the needs of the, na- meet the needs of the masses, but it still may meet the needs of a really significant segment that may not be easily identifiable or even visible, but they are, they're out there and and they will love your book. I think of the book that we did at IVP called Hermanas. It was written by three uh, Latina authors who all have ministry experience from InterVarsity and Peru. And I mean, this is a very unique book that probably in the greater marketplace might have been rejected by other houses because they're, it's such a unique niche. It's not for the masses by no means, but boy, have people responded to that book and have, have spoken their affirmation and support and excitement over the fact that we have this book for Latina women. I mean, that we have something to offer this segment of readers who may not be well served by the books that seem to appeal to the masses, quote unquote. So I, I tend to be of the persuasion that I, 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 um, I'm biased in this way, but I I don't necessarily like thinking about what's going to be great for the masses of readers out there. I think there are some houses that are really good at that. And I think this is where that question of fit comes in again, that you might be a writer uh, who very much wants to speak to the masses and that's your calling and that's the kind of content you create and that resonates. But there's a lot of room out there for people who have more unique voices and perspectives, who are speaking to a smaller segment. I think that nothing is wrong with smaller. And in some ways, because of the digital age we live in, it allows us to be able to be more precise on the marketing side now, putting my marketing hat on. It allows precise to find those readers that resonate with that particular topic, that particular content, that particular kind of author that makes it easier for us to reach them. So I think it's less about, are we writing something that will appeal to the marketplace? Because that is so vast, so broad, so big. 
it's, I think it's more as a creative, it's more about how do I stay faithful to what it is I am called to write and say. And, and then again, it goes back to finding the champions that will get the vision for this book and understand how to reach that segment of reader. Um, so I think when you're going into those conversations, even with publishing professionals to try to find some sort of entity that will both understand your content, champion it, and also have a vision for how to connect it with the particular kinds of readers that will resonate with what you are offering and creating. I would think that what you're saying, it would be so encouraging to most writers, because the reality is most writers are uh, not going to be well-known celebrity type writers. Most of us are operating in these smaller spaces delivering a very needed message, but it could be quite niche, quite narrow, but that doesn't negate the fact that it is needed. And and that voice is something that is going to shape thought and and really society in lots of ways ongoing over the years. So I think that would be encouraging. One thing that I think is curious, though, Helen, is that so often as writers are getting started, I hear the frustration of um, receiving those rejection letters. And and I know you were saying, okay, well, maybe that wasn't a good fit for whatever that reason is. But I also love the fact that because we have access to so many different outlets, aside from traditional publishing, I feel like there are ways to make inroads to your audience um, that Maybe it doesn't start with a book. Maybe it starts with something else. And as I've tried to encourage writers to not be so obsessed with the the book contract, um, I, I think it's deflating to them. And so I was curious what you think about that in terms of the value of um, reaching your audience with a message, you know, hold out hope that there will be a book contract. Like, I am not saying don't do that. But, but what do you think about that whole idea of developing a space where you are ministering and you are getting your thoughts out and it just may not start with a book. So I have just recently come back from attending Digital Book World, which is one of these industry conference gatherings for publishing professionals. In this case, not just Christian, Christian, secular, all combined. I was fascinated to see how format agnostic people have become in terms of talking about opportunities and ways to publish. And this is a gathering of book publishing professionals primarily. But as I heard these uh, executives from many of these big five publishers and others, uh, it's become clear to me that content and quality content is the key. And it can begin in all kinds of ways. It can begin as a podcast. It can begin in an audio only format. It can begin potentially as a series of YouTube videos. And whatever kinds of ways writers and authors or creatives are finding their audience, um, that becomes a foundation point to connect with that segment of potential readers that will emerge if you decide to, be- to become a writer or if you decide to create, sorry, I think that was my ding. Um, If you decide to create a book down the road, you've now already established your voice in a non-print medium. And I heard story after story of 
times that publishers have started to do that, like work with authors who have started out not as authors, who've started out as uh, a voice in some other form of media, and it has emerged into a book. So we're seeing so much more fluidity back and forth between book publishing and other forms of publishing, whether it's audio only or whether it's video or other formats, uh, that I think bode well for the creative uh, the creative thing. It bodes well for creativity going forward because you're seeing so many different ways that people can tap into exercising their voice uh, that can help them create an audience and and then lead to a book if they want to do that. Some people are just abandoning the book format entirely, reaching their audience directly in other means, and that's fine. There's there's room in their space for all these different expressions and all these different all these different pathways to getting published, if that's your goal. And I just want to reiterate something that I think has been present in this whole conversation, but we maybe have been implicit about it, that knowing and connecting with your audience means you have to be able to define them and know who you're speaking to. I think a lot of us, you know, we want to speak we want to get our message out, but we really have to focus on getting our message across that we're not just speaking into the void to get something off of our chest, that we're actually trying to communicate <laughs> to someone yes. on the other end. And that takes a lot of work of defining and knowing who am I talking to? You know, sometimes when I talk to aspiring writers, I'll say, well, who are you writing for? Why well, want everyone to read my book? And I was like, well, to your point, Helen, not everyone is going to read your book, but you might find someone. There is someone that needs to read your book. So who is that person? And it's just a really good exercise as you are at the front end of any creative endeavor to kind of visualize and to be able to put names or language to the person that exists out there but is a real person with a real life. And you're saying that's who I'm speaking to because then it will inform the choices you make in your communication, how you communicate with that person, the language you use, um, even the topics you cover with them. So I don't think we can minimize how significant it is to know who you're talking to. Yeah, I agree. So there's an, a maxim that one of my colleagues here at IVP, Al Shi, who's one of our editors here, a longtime editors here, he says, no book is for everyone, but every book is for someone. That is so true. And I think part of our calling as writers and creators in this space are to figure out who are our someones. What do those someones you know, look like and think like? And what do they, what are their experiences like? And how can my particular uh, message or voice really connect with that set of someone. So I agree with you, Hannah, completely that we do want to be cognizant that we're not just trying to mindlessly pour out content to everyone. And that is very, very much a challenge on the publishing side. When you hear authors say, that's my book is for everyone. We have to keep saying, well, <laughs> not exactly. And, and it helps us when they have done that work of, trying to process through, you know, more specifically, like what are the aspects, attributes, lifestyles, beliefs, values, commitments? Um, what are those qualities of the audience I'm trying to reach? Maybe they're indicative of who I am and that's where you start. Like, who am I and what particular spaces and places do I occupy and, and represent? And then 
then go broader from there to figure out, okay, what does that mean for the audience I feel like I'm most called to reach, most able to reach, um, most likely to resonate with my my words, my messages, my values. So that is a really important part of the process to help you hone and sharpen your content. Yes, I absolutely agree that that exercise, and that's a that's by the way an iterative exercise. I don't think it's a once and done kind of thing. I think it evolves and changes and um, and grows and shapes itself over time as well. But being cognizant of that, I think is is really important. I was talking to my friend, Kathy Kong, who wrote the book, Raise Your Voice, and what she had noticed even in terms of the feedback she was getting about her book, that uh, as she would talk to people, as she would uh, get comments from people about what resonated with them, with her book, it was striking her to her to see the contrast between the particular areas of her book that, for example, women of color would resonate with versus particular areas of her book that white women would resonate with. And just kind of taking all that in and even seeing then how that uh, would, even seeing how that manifests itself in her blog writing, which um, was the foundation for what became her book. And just noting all that, observing all of that, seeing what kinds of posts would hit with different kinds of readers and seeing where she felt comfortable leaning in or where she felt comfortable pressing um, buttons a little bit. We're all instructed her in the creative process of what ended up becoming her book. So I think that process you're describing, Hannah, and that intentionality of trying to at least be able to articulate more clearly who, who your audience is, is important. It's, it's a key aspect to the creative process. And I think some people feel like that's too marketing-esque. I just want to write. I just want to be in my creative bubble and just write beautiful things. And I think that, of course, that's part of the creative process. But I think to truly ensure that your, your time and effort and energy, your offering, your creative offering will have lasting value. You do want to think that next step of who will be receiving it on the other end. I just think that's good stewardship of your creative gifts to not just be thinking about the beauty that you're creating, but also to think about how to create it in such a way that it will be received and heard. I like what you're saying there, Helen, about this combination of knowing that you want to create something that's lovely, you know, something that you'll stand back and feel proud of that you've you've put your all into this and you've shaped something that is uniquely yours. It's your your voice and your thoughts and your passion. And yet being able to receive that feedback and there there is some adjustment. So in in our previous discussions in this series, we've talked with um, a couple of different people and we've talked about this need to make sure that the market is not driving and, and correcting your message, basically collapsing your message into mainstream, into everything else. You know, we don't want it to be all one in the same message. But on the flip side, we still need to have some correction, and we still need to have some guidance from trusted voices like an editor. And so maybe as we're starting to wind all this down, could you talk a little bit about what it's like to give that feedback and maybe some things that you've seen from from writers in terms of good ways to receive feedback or a good way to think about receiving feedback just as a help to people knowing that 
the process doesn't happen uh, in a vacuum, that you need to have that interactiveness with other people, whether it's readers or editors or people who can give you wise counsel. Yes, I'd be happy to talk about this. I have had the privilege of getting a chance to edit all kinds of writers, ones that we might think of as being just the most excellent writers and have just unbelievable prose. And even, even people who may be perceived in that way as just being amazing writers, everyone needs an editor. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. There, there's not a single person on the planet um, that, that couldn't benefit from an editor. <laughs> so it's just, it's just part of our, um, it's part of the creative process. I think that, that sh- the sharpening that comes from getting feedback is invaluable. So anyone who is willing to enter into this creative endeavor, in, into creative endeavors has to uh, just embrace the reality that you will get feedback, whether it's from the marketplace down the road or from an editor earlier on, um, that feedback is inevitable. So it's, good training to get that earlier in the process with good editors or trusted friends or a combination of all those things, because it will only strengthen and sharpen your end product down the road. So uh, editing and getting feedback is uh, a scary process, I think, for any writer. And anytime I've turned anything into any any place where I've written something, there's always that moment of panic of, Yes. <laughs> will they hate it? Totally get will that. They will they like? Will uh-huh. they still like me? You know, all these things, all these insecurities come welling up every single time. It doesn't matter how many time, times I've written something for public consumption. It happens every time. And and there's something about that moment. As a Christian, I think there's something about that moment that is uh, is particularly vulnerable and. I think it's not a bad thing for us to experience that vulnerability and then that sense of, okay, I am entrusting this to you, to your hands, to do with what you will with this message. Um, it is incredibly scary, but it's an incredibly important part of the creative process. And to be open to feedback, to be open and teachable is so helpful. If you're an editor, to have an author who, who understands that that's just a key part of the process that you're going to hear coming back a series of uh, comments or recommendations that are going to run the gamut. There's going to be identification of some things that were really good. There are going to be identifications of some things that you could probably lose and your message will be no less for it. There's going to be an articulation of some things that just have to be redone. And that will, again, will all be to service your work better in the end. Someone who comes in with that mentality of accepting that whole editorial construct will, I think, have a, an easier time going through the process. And it'll be a more enjoyable process. It will certainly be more enjoyable for your editor, but it'll be probably both ways if there is that kind of unspoken commitment to receiving feedback with open ears and uh, just a willingness to, to, uh, the willingness to be able to to receive both the good and the hard. And it, it doesn't mean that you can't push back as a writer. So let's address this for a second, which is sometimes I think writers feel like I have to just take everything my editor and do it all. No, you're it's a it's a it's a collaborative process where it's okay to have a conversation. There might be some things that um, you feel super, super strongly about. I hope all the editors <laughs> are listening. Don't get mad at me for saying this, but 
you know, I, I, I never, it's all good. <laughs> I never minded getting uh, into these kinds of discussions because sometimes I would listen and hear what the author had to say and feel like, you know what, they're, they're right. On this point, they have a closer lens to this and a better understanding than I do. So I'm going to trust that. And sometimes it's the opposite where the, the author has to, has to trust. So there is a good deal of trust involved, I think, either way. And so I think it's helpful, whoever you choose to work with um, down the road in terms of whatever choices you make, um, with professional connections, authors, editors, agents, all those people who are involved in these endeavors. I think trust is a really important part of the whole equation and uh, it makes it easier to receive and give feedback if you have established a relationship of trust that helps to undergird the whole scary, vulnerable, risky, um, uh, sorry, the, the whole risky, scary and vulnerable process that is creativity and publishing. That's awesome. Well, Helen, we are so grateful that you would come on and talk to us about all of these things. I feel like it has really helped to shape up this this idea that we we're trying to include in the series about voice and understanding who you are and yet being able to receive some feedback and some growth in that. So this was perfect. We really do appreciate you coming on Persuasion and talking with us. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate the creative work you all are doing together. It's a wonderful contribution to the conversation. Well, we'll make sure that everyone has access to um, your links and they can follow you on social. So I'll make sure I get all of that linked up in our show notes. But for today, that's going to do it for our conversation. Um, we want to make sure all you listeners out there are caught up on the series. There are three so far in the series. We had the intro called The Creative Life. The second one was Processing Creative Space with Michelle Radford. And the third one was Processing Arts Temporal Nature with Kendall Vanderslice. And we'll get all those linked up so you can listen to them um, and catch up if you got a wee bit behind. But of course, we would love to have all of you join the conversation. We love that. So Hannah, do you have a question of the day for everyone? We We have talked about passion. We've talked about finding your voice your niche. And we've talked about it all in context of writing. So today's question of the day is a little bit out there, but we want to know if you ever wrote a book, what would be the book that you write? What is the book that you have inside you that would just need to get out? Now, maybe you're not a writer. Maybe you don't think of yourself as a writer, but I think we all entertain these little dreams of the book we would write one day if we were going to write a book. So today's question of the day is, what is that passion, that message that's burning inside of you, and what is the book you would write? You can join us on Twitter at PersuasionCAPC or in the CAPC members forum to tell us about the book that you would dream of writing. And you can maybe hear more about the books that Aaron and I are dreaming of writing ourselves one day. Um, <laughs> join us in the Christ and Pop Culture member forum for just $5 a month. And that money goes to support all the work that Christ and Pop Culture is doing, all the conversations that they are cultivating around the creative life. 
We want to say thanks so much to Jonathan Clausen. He's our producer for Persuasion and all the other shows in our podcast network. You can listen to them at ChristandPopCulture.com or you can go to iTunes and search for the shows under Christ and Pop Culture and they will pop up right there. We do appreciate all of you listening to Persuasion and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. Name.